This is the Fedora Chronicles radio show special interview with Libertarian candidate for president, Dr. Joe Jorgensen, recorded for June 16th, 2020. And I'm your host, Eric Fisk. In this interview with Libertarian candidate for president, Joe Jorgensen, we talk about what transpired to cause her to want to run for president. We also talk about what is libertarianism, and she dispels some myths people might have about this political party. We also talked about dirty tricks that are being played against her and her campaign so far. How does she respond when people tell her that voting for a third party is a wasted vote? And what are libertarians doing about some of the issues surrounding health care and education in the United States? This is the Bedore Chronicles radio show special for June 16th, 2020. Thank you for listening and enjoy the show. Ladies and gentlemen, very special guest, um, Dr. Joe Jorgensen. If you don't know her, you should. She is the Libertarian nominee for President of the United States. I believe that you're going to be on the ballot in all 50 states. Um, and we have a very limited amount of time to talk. I just want to thank you um, for being so gracious and being on the show, Doctor. Oh, well, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Um, let's just get right down to it. Could you just tell us a little bit about your background and tell us about the moment you decided that you were going to run for president of the United States? Well, my background is I teach at Clemson University. I've got a PhD in industrial organizational psychology, but I have been in the business world. I have an MBA and I, uh, started a software duplication firm and uh, a, a couple other smaller companies. So I do know what it's like to be an independent business person, have to make, meet a payroll and have to follow all the guidelines and the IRS, That's which right. is not fun. I can tell you that. Um, and uh, you mentioned being on the ballot in all 50 states. Right now we're at 43. We're hoping to get to all. Uh, the problem is the government, of course, tells us we have to get signatures, but then they put us all under house arrest and they tell us that we can't leave our homes because of the virus. So we'll see how that plays out. <laughs> <laughs> I, it's almost as if the the virus and the quarantine is just tailor-made to keep people con confined and contained. Um, yes. when, did, when did you decide that you were a libertarian or what... What was the transition into libertarianism for you? Well, I always was a libertarian. I think I was a in in spirit. I was a libertarian when I first read Animal Farm in about fifth grade. And a lot of people ask me, "Well, you're running for president. I guess you must have been what on student council or run for a student body president." And my answer is no. I always hated the idea that there were elite few who got to make rules for everybody else. So no, that's not my path at all. When I first heard about the Libertarian Party immediately, well, I was still actually in school, in college. I, my first thought was, oh my gosh, there are other people who think the way I think. There are other people yeah. who believe what I believe. This is great. So I was able to, uh, I, I found out about the party before I first voted for somebody for president. So the first president I ever voted for was Ed Clark. And I have voted Libertarian ever since then. And I was the 1996 VP nominee, and I was on the ballot in all 50 states. And I've wanted to run for president since then, but 
one thing or the other, it didn't work out. Either there was a strong candidate who I supported or I just uh, couldn't do it on my end. Is it just because it's your time to run or did you decide just based on what's been going on in the country for the past couple of years, 2020 was going is specifically the year for you? Well, no, I would say we've had stuff going on in this country since the Libertarian Party was founded in 71. So and and each year, libertarians look at each other, we scratch our heads and we think, well, it can't possibly get any worse than this. And then it does. So even though I'm running now because things are headed in the wrong direction in 2024, I'm sure they'll be headed in the wrong direction as well, unless we do something, unless we stop the people who are in power now. A lot of people are going to ask, if they're not asking already while listening to this, how are things going so wrong? What, what, how do you define the wrong direction for this country from the perspective of a libertarian? Well, the wrong direction is when we have bureaucrats and special interests making rules for us and spending our money for us rather than allowing people to make their own decisions. It's also going wrong for us when healthcare costs have gone through the roof. Uh, public education has not been doing well. I should say government-run publication. When we are still the world's policemen and we have troops all around the world, instead of bringing them home where they belong and to protect our own soil. And uh, basically, we've got a Democrat and a Republican yelling at each other, saying the other is wrong, and yet they're both headed in the same direction. And, and I think this is a little different in, in this election, because in 2016, Donald Trump ran as an outsider. And the reason the polls got it all wrong is because they weren't uh, polling people who had either never voted or hadn't voted in 20 years. And every, and, and a lot of these people said, well, we want somebody different. And we got somebody different. And once again, he still ran as a Republican and he's acting like every other Republican, giving us bigger government. So instead of getting rid of the deficit as though he, like he promised, uh, we're getting bigger and bigger deficits every year. Which brings me to the original question, when everybody asks me, you know, why do I lean libertarian? What does libertarianism actually mean? What does it mean to be a libertarian, according to Dr. Joe Jorgensen? Well, being a libertarian means that you have the freedom to choose your health care. You have the freedom to marry who you want to marry, associate with who you want to associate with. You have the freedom to educate your children how you would like to educate them. And you have the power to make decisions rather than uh, sending your money to Washington and allowing those people to make very poor decisions. And I'd like to point out that nobody ever spends somebody else's money better than they spend their own. That's part of our problem. And when people ask me why I'm running for government, or why I'm running for president, my answer is because government is too big, too nosy, too bossy, too intrusive, and it often hurts those it intends to help. Doctor, what what is actually wrong with the American education system from your perspective, especially since that you're an educator? Yes. Well, first of all, I do teach at a college, so my background isn't necessarily in education. Okay. So I'm 
speaking I'm speaking as an outsider as well, but I think the biggest problem is education is a local issue. It should be decided among parents, teachers, and students, and that people in actually rural Appalachia, for instance, have different needs, different desires than people in downtown New York City. But instead, what we get is a government one size fits all where we send our money to the federal government and now we've got a department of education who is just making things worse and again why do we need why why does each individual city need to be told what to do from washington why we why can't we make those decisions on our own and and if you look at the statistics uh private schools and and i i really hate the terminology because once again, the people who control the language can control the thought. Yeah. So private schools sound yeah. So private schools sounds like something that's very elite, and public schools that sounds like something open to everybody. Um, well, I prefer to call them government-run public schools. And I'd like to point out that throughout the decades, sending a student to a private or rather to a, a government-run public school usually costs anywhere from three to six times more than what a private school could do in in that same area. So why do we want poor quality education for more money? What would a libertarian president such as yourself do on the on the first day, the day after inauguration or within your first 100 days to fix uh, the public school system? Well, the first thing I would do is try to get rid of the Department of Education. Now, I don't have the power on my own to just snap my fingers, but I would encourage that it be defunded, and then I would try to eventually eliminate it. But I would point out to Congress that, hey, I was the one who was elected president. Uh, If you like your soft, cushy job in which you make all this money, then you might want to follow my lead. Mm -hmm. And I would tell... uh, Local, you know, I would just tell Americans, guess what? You're going to get, you're going to be able to make your own decisions now with something that should have never been taken away from you to begin with. How, how is it that we spend so much on education, but we keep getting, I guess, I guess we're, we're getting less out of the dollars that we spend. It seems like kids coming out of high school or high school graduates seem to be less prepared than the generation before and the generation before that a, a perfect example uh i i was at a high school graduation party a couple of years ago and coincidentally this the graduate went to the same school i went to for high school and i asked what did you think of what did you think of this book what did you think of this class who did you have her history oh you had the same history teacher what did you think of her unit on this that and i was dumbfounded at how the student just seemed to have been just passed along. Yep. And, and I see that myself, too, by the way, because I have to decide which textbooks to use for my class. And I've never had a textbook edition. And, and I've gone through many editions of many books. And every edition says the same thing. So we've reduced the reading requirement level for this. You know, we, we've reduced the reading level for this. So students should find it easier to read. Never does it go in the opposite direction, saying that we've increased how, how intelligent you need to be. But you know, to answer the earlier question, you said, how is it that education keeps going down? It's because, once again, we've got a monopoly. And this is something that just confuses me, is that 
if you ask the average person on the street, do you think it's good to have a monopoly? Their answer is, oh my gosh, no. I, you know, big corporations don't want a monopoly. But all of a sudden, when it comes to healthcare, education, oh, okay, well, then monopolies are fine. But without that competition, without people trying to outdo each other, then we don't have that. So, first of all, with public education, if you look at, um, you know, K through 12, you've got a lot of administrators, a lot more administrators per pupil than you would in the private education. And um, I'm sorry, I forgot where I was headed with that, but, okay. uh, but I would say that's one of the main things. I want to switch to healthcare. And the biggest issue less than 10 years ago was Obamacare. How has Obamacare failed us? And how could a libertarian president make the healthcare system better in the, here in the United States for everybody? Oh, well, it's failed us by by uh, making health care unaffordable, which is ironic because the name of that bill was the Affordable right. Care. Right. And right. it became more unaffordable. So the, if there is one myth I could get across to every American during my campaign, that would, and not just health care, but any topic, the one thing I would like to get across to everybody is we do not have a free market health care system. So many people out there, including politicians like Elizabeth Warren, are out there saying, well, the free market doesn't work, so I guess we'll have to go to single payer. And I just want to scream, no, we have not had a free market system since at least World War II. That's when things started really getting yeah. out of hand. And if we could go to a free market, then we would be able to afford uh, health care. And let me give you a few examples. So, for instance, if you look at our industry, at our health care the only two specialties which are even remotely free market would be um, cosmetic surgery and LASIK surgery. And in both of those fields, prices have gone down dramatically and quality has gone up. That's because the doctors have to compete with each other for your business. And that's the way it should be. You know, when you go out shopping for a car, you've got one car dealership trying to outdo you um, outdo the other one to get you a better car for less money so that you choose that dealership. When you go to buy a computer, again, it's a different companies trying to outdo each other. So why shouldn't doctors do the same thing? Uh, and if you look at Singapore, which has pretty close to a free market system in that people get to choose, they, they get to vote with their dollars, they get to have doctors competing for them. Their prices are so much slower than ours. They're about one quarter of what ours are. So, for instance, um, here, uh, heart bypass costs about $130,000. Over there, it costs $18,000. Such a dramatic difference because the doctors are competing against each other. What are some other myths about libertarianism that you'd like to dispel for my listeners? Oh, wow. Do you have any favorite myths? <laughs> um, I, I think that one of the myths that I love to hear is that every libertarian um, um, keeps a copy of Atlas Shrugs next to their <laughs> bed as if it's the Holy Bible. And I mean, it's Atlas Shrugs is a really, really lengthy book. I think they could have cut out yeah. maybe 9,900 pages and whittled it down yeah. a little bit. Um, but the thing is, is that libertarians are selfish. 
Libertarians, yeah. libertarians yes. are, are, is just another way for anarchists and, yeah. and we're all about profiteering and money making. What do you think about those myths? Well, first of all, regarding Atlas Shrugged, what's ironic there is that, um, is that Ayn Rand was not a libertarian. And when people, when the party was formed and they said, oh, we're forming this around your ideas, her response was, no, 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 that's not what I meant. And she, <laughs> yep. and she, she was actually a fan of Ronald Reagan when he was uh, governor in, Col in uh, California. Really? Did not know so, that. Yeah, exactly. So, no, she did not like the idea of the Libertarian Party. But to get to the other myths about profiteering, which, by the way, I did remember the second point I was going to okay. make with education, but this can go really with anything, education, healthcare, anything. You mentioned profiteering. Basically, I would like to get across the idea that profits are good because it makes people compete for you, which, by the way, is a Randian idea. I was in the third party debate in March in uh, Chicago, and the socialist was saying, oh, we got to get profit out of health care. And my reaction was, no, you, you, you want doctors who are working for a profit because that's the only way they can get your business. You want them working for you. And I'll, all we have to do is look at technology. Why do we all have iPhones and such wonderful technology? It's because Steve Jobs and Bill Gates hated each other, and they were always trying to outdo one another. So by, out, by trying to outdo one another, they kept coming up with better and better products that cost less and less. So if we had that kind of uh, competition in the education system, for instance, if we had people competing against each other, then we would have a better system. Um, and that actually kind of goes back to your education uh, question in that we've got kind of a model that the government put out uh, where we all sit in the classroom. What if we didn't have all of these standards? What if we could start doing more remote learning, which now we might do? I mean, just to open up all the possibilities, it, it's amazing how many possibilities are out there if we just didn't have the one-size-fits-all from the government. I want to move on to what's been going on with this campaign season so far. What are the tricks that are being played against you and libertarians so far? And what are you doing to combat that? Like perfect example, a court had said um, a couple of days ago that it's okay for the Republicans and the Democrats to keep 30 third party candidates out of the democratic debates. What are you doing to combat that? Well, we're still going to try to get in there by showing that we're too big to be ignored. And in the past, they had the 15% cutoff. <clears throat> Excuse me. And uh, so if, if we have a movement that's big enough, then they're not going to have a choice. And, you know, and, and you look at how, how did they get that 15%? I'm sure they took a look at, oh, Ross Perot, John Anderson, and said, okay, what number can we come up with that's small enough that it looks like we're being fair, but not so small that people can actually attain it? <laughs> and the highest Gary Johnson ever got was something like 13.6%. So apparently they put that number exactly right. But the good news is there are about 40 to 45 million libertarian-leaning voters. We just have to reach them and show them that there's a real alternative, that there's no alternative right now between Trump and Biden, but we can offer a real alternative. 
What do we say to people who tell us that voting for a third party is a, quote, wasted vote? Well, I would suggest that voting for what you don't want is a wasted vote. And when I've asked people, do you want government, uh, you know, do you think government is too big or do you think government is too small? They usually laugh at the question that government is too small because, no, it's not too small. And so then my next question is, well, why would you vote for more of what you don't want? And again, if we can get all of the people who really want a change to vote this way, then we can actually finally make a change. And especially this is the perfect time to do it after Trump, because all of those people who hadn't been voting for a while, they all registered because they wanted something different. Well, now I would suggest to them, you didn't get something different. Now that you're registered to vote, take a look at us and vote libertarian. And my site is joj2020.com for anybody who's interested in learning more about our campaign. How, how are we doing on time? Do, um, our, our, five, yeah, I mean, we're, we're towards the end, but I'll be happy to stay another five minutes. Okay. So if you wanted to pass something along to a libertarian or somebody who's leaning libertarian and wants to know what libertarian really means, what would you have them read or watch so that they would get an idea of what it means to actually be a libertarian? I, I do. I, I am like many libertarians in that I think the best instruction is to show what's wrong with the system and to have people kind of go, aha. I would still direct people to, to read the book Animal Farm. Read the book Animal Farm and uh, you can kind of see what's going on. Now, as far as what a libertarian is, again, we are a political party. I'm so glad now that we do have educational organizations out there. So I think we need to show people practically what can happen. And since you said specifically watch, I don't know how you could get a hold of this, but I would encourage anybody to either read the book or watch the video series from Milton Friedman of Free to Choose because that's what it's all about. The word freedom um, is, is, so is the basis of our country. And we call our party the Libertarian Party because we believe in liberty. We believe that you should be able to choose. And Milton Friedman always pointed out that you should be able to vote with your feet, vote with your dollars, that, that each person should have the choice to make his or her own decisions. And even though there are outdated numbers, I think that it gives a really practical explanation of of what you could achieve if all the people got to make their own decisions. And and even even uh, for instance, uh, racism. You know, we've we've been talking about that a lot yeah, lately sure with the uh, protests and the rioters. And of course, I always make a distinction between the protesters and rioters. But he even pointed out how um, in a capitalistic system, if you're baking bread, you don't care the color of the person that you're buying wheat from because you want the lowest price. And guess what? If a person of color has the lowest price and that's what you buy, uh, you're going to come out ahead. So the private market can better handle racism than our government has. What do you think that we could be doing to... Um heal the fractured nature of the United States, because there does seem to be two different United States, the radical conservative, the radical liberal, 
and there, I mean, there just seems to be um, the sense that we're on the brink of a civil war. What can we do to put the country back together? Or have we gone too far? Well, I don't think we've gone too far. Unfortunately, we can't look towards the government leaders because, heck, you know, the current, the ones we have now, because uh, Donald Trump and Nancy Pelosi are both white and look at how they're at each other. Uh, what we have right now is a divisive government in which you pretty much have to vote as a as a measure of self-defense. In fact, that's what I say. Voting libertarian is an act of self-defense. So right now, if you let's say you want prayer in your school and your neighbor doesn't, now you have to fight against your neighbor. Now only there's only one chosen system. So if we can give decision making back to people, then we will see a lot of that divisiveness leave because then we don't have to fight against our neighbors for what we want. You know, a lot of people don't realize how corrupt Congress was in the 1930s and 40s, but nobody cared because they made so few decisions. We just went around, or not we, like me, I'm not that old, right. but, uh, but people just went on living their lives, uh, getting, you know, having a decision, having a role in their healthcare, education, retirement, and so forth. Um, but now everything goes through the government, so it is a combat sport. I've noticed that lately a lot of libertarians are sort of circumventing the mainstream media um, especially what's happened with the uh, the primary especially here in new hampshire do you think that the the system is rigged in such a way to a keep us fighting against each other keep us divided while at the same time purposefully excluding third-party choices Oh, of course the system is rigged. That's what ballot access is all about. And in fact, we didn't even have some of these stringent ballot access laws until the Libertarian Party was on the ballot in all 50 states, three elections in a row. A lot of people don't realize that other than the Democrats and Republicans, the Libertarian Party is the only party that has been on the ballot in consecutive presidential years. And so then what the uh, what people in government did is said, okay, we gotta throw roadblocks up there. So absolutely it's rigged. And and as we make a success, they throw another roadblock in the in the area. And what's really sad is our federal government looks around at other countries and when they have such obstacles, they label those elections as not being free or fair. And yet we're doing that in our country. So going by the federal government standards, we are not holding free and fair elections. And let me just mention, I actually was up in your neck of the woods a few yep. weeks ago. I uh, Yes, I went to New Hampshire to personally file my paperwork. Of course, I was told I had to go out and get 3,000 signatures, which um, I'm sure that uh, Trump and Biden didn't have to do. And although maybe I shouldn't say that, maybe in that one they do. But what what I'm finding is uh, that we're the ones who have to spend our money to be on the ballot, while the other uh, others don't. And I've heard of local elections in which a Republican or Democrat simply forgot to file the necessary paperwork. Now, notice yeah. they didn't have to collect signatures. All they had to do was just file paperwork, and they forgot. And the local election commission was like, oh, well, they just forgot. We'll just put them on the ballot anyway. That's Meanwhile, right. yeah. uh, 
we miss a, we miss a deadline or don't have thousands of signatures, we're going nowhere near that ballot. I know that you have another interview in a, in a <laughs> couple short minutes. How can we find you and give and, and give us a plug for your campaign? Yes, I'm at joj2020.com. And again, I'm running a practical campaign in that we are showing how we can uh, change the world, not, not looking at it philosophically, for instance, but looking at, okay, how can we have affordable health care? How can we have... Um, how can we have education that's better? How can we be safer? We need to bring the troops home, and I want to turn America into one giant Switzerland, armed and neutral. Those things are possible, but only through the Libertarian Party. And I know that my running mate is a friend of the show. Yes, and we had him on last week. Yep, and the person that he ran with is a friend of the show. Absolutely. So, so we've got a very balanced ticket. Uh, and not balance, you know, when the Democrats and Republicans would talk about a balance ticket, they would talk about a rich white man from a northern state and a rich white man from a southern state. Yes. <laughs> right. That, that, that was their definition of balanced. Whereas we have a woman uh, who is, I don't want to say older, early 60s. OK. Yes. And uh, we've got a younger man, one, one of the youngest ever run for VP, uh, who is Jewish. And we really do have a balance in that we are at, uh, different, both in our approaches and uh, in our demographics. And uh, he's doing a great job appealing to young people. You know, whereas me, well, I don't want to get into that, but um, let's just say he's more tech savvy being younger yeah, <laughs> than absolutely. I yes. and uh, reaches out to the younger people. I cannot wait to see your name on the ballot. And uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing more from you in the near future. And of course, obviously, um, now that we've made a connection, you are always welcome to come on. Um, send just just send me a quick message. I'll I'll, I'll fire up the um, the mixing board and the, the audio recorder for you, and I'd love to have you on again. Well, thank you. And if I'm ever up in New Hampshire again, now I know this time I need to look you up. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. I'm always available. Thank you again. Okay. Well, thanks. It was great being here. Thanks for spreading the message. Thank you. This has been a Fedora Chronicles radio show special. Find out more about the Fedora Chronicles by visiting our website, thefedorachronicles.com. That's where you can find our show notes, past episodes, articles, reviews, and more. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram by simply searching for the Fedora Chronicles on those platforms. Don't forget to join our group on Facebook after you found it so that you can keep up with what we will be talking about in the next episode. Facebook, Twitter, and our email address, fedorachronicle at gmail.com, are great ways to drop us a line with comments and show topic suggestions. We might even read your comment on the air. Chronicle at gmail.com is also the best way to reach us if you would like to be a guest on a future episode. The theme songs for this show is Black Cabaret and Royal Flush by All of Music from Premium Beat, which provided the license for these songs. The Fedora Chronicles radio show is edited and produced by Eric Fisk 
in Ringe, New Hampshire, the United States. Copyright The Fedora Chronicles 2020, all rights reserved. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the show.